Hello there. Thank you for inviting me into your eardrums. If uh, royalties and copyright weren't a pressing concern, which uh, they always are, I would be playing Earl Had to Die in the background. But I'm not, because that would infringe on somebody's copyright, and that's not cool. But we do have a discussion of more Earl Had to Die. Victoria Helen Stone has a new book out, The Last One Home, is a dual timeline domestic thriller in the genre, as you know, that I call Earl had to die. In this conversation, we discuss her moving from writing romance as Victoria Dahl to writing domestic suspense and thrillers. We talk about growing up in poverty and the power of nostalgia. And then Victoria figures out a key reason why Earl had to die books about revenge are so very satisfying. Now, there are some spoilers for Jane Doe and Problem Child in our discussion, so be warned. I will have links to where you can find all of the books that we discuss, including The Last One Home, in the show notes. At smartbitchestrashybooks.com slash podcast, or look for a link inside the podcatcher app that you are using to listen to this episode, if indeed you are using one. I have a compliment. I love this. Elizabeth C. Mermaids exist, and they think you are so fabulous. They have trinkets in their bedrooms that remind them of you. So please make sure to wave hello the next time you go swimming, okay? If you have supported the show with a monthly pledge of any amount... Thank you. Thank you very much. You are helping me make sure that every episode is transcribed and therefore accessible to everyone. Hello to our newest wonderful patrons, Barbara and Blue. Thank you for joining us. If you would like to join, please have a look at patreon.com slash smartbitches. This episode is brought to you by Breakfast at the Honey Creek Cafe by New York Times and USA Today bestselling author Jody Thomas, who I just learned has written over 50 novels. Piper Jane McKenzie, mayor of Honey Creek, won't let a major scandal rip her quirky hometown apart or jeopardize her dream of one day running for higher office. So she's willing to welcome undercover detective Colby McBride to help her solve the mystery behind her wannabe fiancé's disappearance. Colby's cover? That he's an old boyfriend now begging Piper for a second chance always when there are plenty of townsfolk around to witness his shenanigans. Piper hardly knows whether to laugh or cry, especially when she finds herself drawn to this handsome rascal. And if she can keep her town and her heart from going completely off the rails, there may be a sweet, unexpected future in store. Breakfast at the Honey Creek Cafe by Jody Thomas is on sale now. Wherever books are sold, you can find out more at kensingtonbooks.com. Also, the cover is a gorgeous illustration and it is lovely to stare at. Ask me how I know. And I have a new sponsor this month. Yay! This episode is brought to you in part by Apostrophe, a prescription skincare company for people that are ready to take their acne seriously. Prescription acne treatment really works, but it can be hard to get. You have to take time off work to go see a doctor. You maybe have to go to sit in line at the pharmacy and wait for your medications until Apostrophe. Apostrophe makes it easy to see a board-certified dermatologist online. You'll get treated immediately and your medications are delivered to your home. Simply fill out Apostrophe's online questionnaire about your skin concerns and your medical history, then snap a few selfies and your dermatologist will get back to you with a customized treatment plan tailored just for you. The best part is that Apostrophe offers topical and oral medications so you can treat acne from the inside out or the outside in. They treat acne and they can also help you hit your other skincare goals like reducing redness and even dark spots. I tried Apostrophe to address acne. Um, Let me tell you, getting a gray hair and a pimple on the same day, not cool. I didn't need to make an appointment. 
I didn't even need to get up from the chair I was sitting in. Not only was the apostrophe site extremely easy to use, but when I entered my location, the doctor who would be designing my treatment plan was a dermatologist that I'd already seen some years ago. Same dude. The prescription arrived quickly and my skin has already calmed the heck down. You can get $15 off your first visit with a board certified dermatologist at apostrophe.com smart and use our code smart. This code is only available to you, our listeners. To get started, go to apostrophe.com smart and click begin visit. Then use the code smart at sign up. You get $15 off your dermatology visit. That's apostrophe, A-P-O-S-T-R-O-P-H-E dot com slash smart and use that code smart to get your dermatology visit for $15 off. And we thank Apostrophe for sponsoring the podcast. We have so many books to talk about. I will end the episode with a bad joke and probably some links to music videos in the show notes because we got to talk about the origin of Earl Had to Die and that involves, you know, talking about music. But let's get started with this podcast. On with my conversation with Victoria Helen Stone. My name is Victoria Helen Stone. For now, I used to be known as Victoria Dahl. Um, I write domestic suspense or psychological suspense, um, whatever you want to call it. Uh, as Victoria Dahl, I used to write romances a long, long time ago. Um, that's who I am. Yay. <laughs> Recently, we did a thread and some uh, folks were recommending some of your early contemporaries as, holy shit, these are so funny. And I was like, <laughs> yes, they are. Do you still get email about your about your romances? I do. Um, I kind of feel guilty when I get them because a lot of times people are asking about when there's going to be a new book. I'm sorry. I'm killing um, people now <laughs> or torturing them. <laughs> the worst part is I had a historic, my last histor- historical series was supposed to be a three book series. And then my contract didn't get renewed. So it was done after two books. Uh. And so people write asking about the third book, when is it coming out? And I'm like, I don't even remember what it was going to be about, frankly. (laughs) I don't even remember who those people were. Can you tell me? (laughs) So you have a new suspense, new book. Please tell me all about it. Just start at chapter one. Just start reading. It's fine. Tell me all about it. Because you write some creepy, creepy shit. Uh, Thank you very much. Uh, It's called The Last One Home. And this one is a bit different for me because it's two alternating points of view, um, which I haven't done in the suspense before. Um, So the first point of view is Donna and her point of view takes place in 1985. Um, And the second point of view is her daughter, Lauren, which takes place in present day. They're both 35 years old um, at this point in their lives. But so Donna is sort of a badass ex-punk. She's 35 now. So not so much, not so much on the punk scene, who lives in LA. She's a free spirit, an artist, never wants to settle down. And her boyfriend is a guy who lives in Sacramento, who's going through a long drawn out divorce. Um, And Donna finds out that she's pregnant and it really hits her. She's been pregnant before. She's had an abortion before. Um, She never wanted kids, but it really hits her probably because she's 35 and she's thinking like, this is it if I ever want to do this. So she decides to give it a shot. Um, She tells her boyfriend, he seems excited about it, but um, she sort of packs up everything and moves to Sacramento to surprise him. Like, if you really want to make this work, then let's do this. Right. 
that's uh, the beginning of Donna's point of view. Lauren's point of view is that she's a 35 year old woman um, who is estranged from her mom, has a very tough relationship with her mom uh, because her mom testified in court against her father and sent him to prison for murder before Lauren was even born. Oh dear. <laughs> that does put it, put, put it, put a bit, bit of a problem in the relationship. Yeah. Worse yet, when she was 10 years old, a, a killer came forward and said he was the one that committed that murder and her dad was released from prison oh. and exonerated. So um, you get Donna's point of view of moving to Sacramento and starting this new relationship with a boyfriend and Lauren's point of view, which is uh, living with this chaos that came from their relationship. So yeah, that's uh, basically it. And uh, Lauren moves home and starts to look into what really happened. That's never a good idea. (laughs) Unless you're in a book and then it's a terrific idea, but not for you. That's right. I will say that she doesn't really want to, I mean, she doesn't want to delve into it, but little things pop up. It's kind of an exploration of that whole, I swear I used to be cool before I had kids. Like (laughs) Donna, like was this kick-ass artist living independently in LA. Mm -hmm. But of course her daughter has only known her as a woman struggling to take care of her child on her own, living in poverty. Um, So yeah, it was sort of this cry of like, I swear I used to be cool. You have no idea. (laughs) You have no idea what my life was like before you when I was a whole person. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Because I was a whole person. Um, uh, My kids are grown now, but I live in Utah and they've been raised in, I've been a stay-at-home mom writing books Mm -hmm. uh, in the suburbs. And that's what they know about me. Um, and I grew up very poor in cities. Um, you know, my mom, my dad left before I was born and, um, it was a, it was a lot of struggle, but they have no idea. And it doesn't matter what I tell them. No, that was not their experience of you. (laughs) No, exactly. So, um, yeah, this was kind of a fun, um, way to write a kick-ass heroine in 1985. (laughs) And it's funny because I remember 1985. Yeah, I have very yeah. clear memories of 1985, but that was a long ass time ago. It was. That's it where was. I'm like, oh, oh my gosh. Wow, I'm old. Whoa, what the <laughs> hell happened? I know. Sometimes we talk about something that happened in 2005 or something, and I'm like, that was just a few years that ago. That was like last week, right? <laughs> time is super screwed up now. I mean, forget it. This was a funny thing when I... I I wrote the whole book and then I got some notes back from copy editor and I had the heroine going to Blockbuster and Blockbuster wasn't around in 1985. Oh my gosh. Back back then you would go to like 7-Eleven or the gas station or some little mom and pop video store. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes you would rent a VHS player because you didn't have Have one. one. Oh God. (laughs) And, and the, and the cool place, like the coolest place was the the people who worked at the video store. Like those are the coolest kids. Like if you were the teenager at the video store job, oh, you had so much power and so much porn. Totally into movies. Yeah. Porn. If you, if you had one of those stores that had the back, the little back room behind the curtain. The beaded (laughs) curtain, right? (laughs) Yeah. That was, that was like serious coolness. Yeah. And I was just, uh, so I had to fix that part, but I was remembering the, the, the tension of going on a Friday to try to find a movie you wanted to see because yep. all the movies would be gone yep, by absolutely. Friday night. Totally gone. 
<laughs> and Blockbuster was awful because it was like $9, but you only had the movie for like 24 hours and you had to bring yeah. it back or you'd play a late fee. Whereas the, the late fees oh. were brutal. But then the little like mom and pop video stores, like you had the video for like four or five days. And if you went on a yeah. Friday, forget it. There was nothing left. Nothing at all. Nothing. <laughs> but like having the little box and putting the, the tape in was like a big deal, right? <laughs> Oh my god. I gosh. just so remember picking up the boxes at Blockbuster. They were all lined up and you would turn them around and read the description. Like and... book shopping. Exactly. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so what were some of the other things you visited with with 1985? Um, you know, just really tapping into my youth. Uh, I graduated from high school in 1990. Are we the same age? No, I'm a little younger than you. I graduated in 93. So I'm 45. Okay. Okay. Um, so yeah, it was just, you know, I was 15. No, wait, no, that's not right. I was about 13, but yeah. So it was just like some of the fashions I have her go in to pick out some clothes because she needs some looser clothes. She's starting to gain weight and, um, she's picking out, you know, ripped sweatshirts and putting them back, deciding maybe she can't pull that off anymore. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. And pegging your jeans. Yes, exactly. Many kinds of acid wash. Although at least then, you know, if you needed to hide a, a thicker abdomen, all the jeans were pleated, right? Yeah, exactly. Pleated with that braided leather belt that you tucked in straight up and down on the side. Like that'll hide a lot. <laughs> yeah. I'm really was, scared. I, mean, I remember all that. <laughs> Do you remember, did you ever do the whole like laying down on the bed to zip up your jeans yes. when you were? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yep. I can't even imagine. They didn't have any stretch back no. then either, kids. No. <laughs> and if they came out of the laundry, yeah, the, the, the fabric does not move. No. Jeans fabric no. was brutal right out of the laundry. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So that was that was fun. I also I went to Sacramento to do research. Yeah. Um, it's a beautiful city. I love it. I don't think it gets a lot of love from Californians. It was just gorgeous. I have to say, when I wrote Jane Doe, I had her, I wrote her from um rural Oklahoma, very far from anything. And then when, when I wrote Problem Child, the sequel, she goes back to her home. And I was like, I have picked the wrong location (laughs) (laughs) because, you know, it's a beautiful place, but I was staying in this place. that's basically an oil, like fracking natural gas area. It was, I checked into my motel. It was literally the only woman I saw the whole time I was there. It was was scary. Um, My little rental car was in the parking lot and it was just surrounded by giant trucks. Gigantic trucks. Yep. (laughs) Um, And I felt very vulnerable because people would look at me when I walked through the lobby. Yeah. Like, what are you doing here? Yeah. Where's the the dude who's with you? (laughs) And why is there no dude with you? Yeah, exactly. But I mean, this is all part and parcel of your genre because you do write a lot of shitty dudes. Yeah, yeah. How many shitty dudes are in this book? Is it a spoiler to ask how many shitty dudes we're dealing with here? Um, There's just one shitty dude. And the fun thing about it was uh, it's Donna's boyfriend in her point of view. And it's Lauren's father in her point of view. Oh, dear. He's He's a narcissist. Yeah. And Lauren and Donna have both grown up in dysfunctional ways, but they have opposite reactions to it. Donna is a, um, she 
is a vo- no uh, avoidant attachment, which mm-hmm. means she's kind of a fighter. Mm-hmm. Um, she wants to challenge you, challenge your feelings for her. So there's a lot of drama and fighting going on and pushing away. Lauren, on the other hand, has anxious attachment, which means she's a pleaser. She wants to create peace. Mm-hmm. She wants to appease. Um, so they're both interacting with this one narcissistic man. Um, and they don't really know how to relate to each other. Right. Um, but so, yeah, there's one guy and he's at the center of, of the story in both point of views. And narcissists, they want you to feed their need for attention. And so they would, yeah. they would pit those two people against each other. Exactly. Because then they're, <laughs> if, if they're paying attention to each other, they're not paying attention to him. That's yeah. not a tolerable yeah. situation. And I really had a lot of fun with it because Lauren, um, so her dad comes back into her life when she's 10 years old. Right. um, And she's been living this life of struggle with her mom, trying to support her working nights, Mm -hmm. um, shitty little apartments. And um, I met my dad when I was 12, I think. Oh, wow. And um, he wanted to meet me at the mall um, because he was coming through town. So... I was very excited thinking, oh, we're going to go shopping, like, you know, yeah. it's gonna be, and, but he just took me to lunch um, and told me he was proud of me. And even as a 12 year old, I was thinking like, of what exactly get to be proud of me, like, yeah. <laughs> but there's that fantasy that, you know, he's going to sweep into your life and with make money it better. And, yeah. Right. Because that's the age when you become really aware of your circumstances and you're like, oh, wait a minute. Exactly. All the friends who have nicer clothes and their dads are around and they have new cars. And so, um, but when Lauren's dad comes into her life, that's who he is. He gets a a great apartment. He has a nice job and he showers her with gifts. He's, you know, so that fantasy comes true for her. Mm -hmm. Um, But he's a narcissist. There's a price for all of that. Exactly, exactly. And everything's great between them as long as he's the center of her universe. Right. And and on a, on a subliminal level, especially if, if a person is a, is a pleaser, they're going to very quickly figure out what they can and can't get away with in terms of pushback. Yes, exactly. And what they're willing to do. Yeah. And for him, the narcissist at the center of this, um, you know, he gets that from Lauren, his daughter, that hero worship. Mm-hmm. But um, from Donna as his girlfriend at the time, he got the attention of there being a fraught sort of relationship, her always confronting him. It's still attention, mm-hmm. you know. Yep. Um, Doesn't matter what so, kind of attention as long as there's attention. Yeah. Yeah. So that was really fun to research and look into um, how those two dynamics would play out. Oh, narcissists. Terrible <laughs> characters. In real life. They're great, great for books. Great for books. (laughs) Now, I have been talking for a while about my sort of naming of the genre of domestic suspense featuring shitty ass men who get what's coming to them as Earl had to die. I thought about calling it Two Black Cadillacs, which is a Carrie Underwood song about two women who kill this man who was married to one of them and the and the um I don't know that one. Oh, okay. So It's a Carrie Underwood song, and it is about two women, um, one of whom, and they're meeting at the grave at the funeral of this guy. One of them was married to him, and the other, she was his mistress. 
And you learn that they conspired to kill him because (gasps) he had been lying to both of them. Mm. And so they, they got together and the two black Cadillacs are each of their respective cars in the funeral procession. That's amazing. It's fucking delicious. It's part of my workout playlist. I'm like, I, oh, love, oh. I love story songs. Too. Exactly. It's totally a story <laughs> song. But then, you know, there's also Earl had to die, which is two yes. women deciding, all right, we got to get rid of this shitty ass man. So Jane Doe for me was one of the earliest examples of an Earl had to die book. And um, even though spoiler, there's not actually death. There is complete decimation of his, you know, reputation. And it's very satisfying. <laughs> And she, and there could be death. It's her choice. I mean, yeah. I mean, and, and, and the thing I love about Jane is that it's like, yeah, I could kill him, but it's such a bother. She's such a pain in the ass really. And I just don't want to deal with that. That's annoying. So we'll just destroy his life instead. It's, it's not, there's no morality about it. It's how much of a pain in the ass is this going to be? Exactly. How's it going to affect me? Right. And I actually have a friend who's going through a really, really awful divorce. I think you go through phases in your life where everyone around you has children and everyone around you is getting married and everyone around you is starting to go through divorces. And then there's the friends who have the incredibly shitty divorces. Um, And Earl Had to Die is a very satisfying genre to recommend to women who are dealing with their own Earls. Yeah. Yeah. Very satisfying. So (laughs) this is a super, super soft question. Like this is a real easy one, but I'm dying to hear what you think. There are so many Earl had to die books now. There's Pretty Little Wife by Darby Kane. There's, do you know about They Never Learn? I have heard that. That title. one is a, a professor who is slowly eradicating shitty men on her college campus where she works. Yes. Wow. I think I heard you talk about, did you talk about I talk about, about Rose, Rose Learner. Learner. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, there's obviously most of your backlist. Is shitty men getting what is coming to them. What do you think are the factors that contribute to this being a popular new form of domestic suspense right now? And um, my feeling is that it's all tied up in consequences, but I would love to hear your, your perspective. Yeah, I think um, I've been thinking for a while now that there's something about as, as many, you know, terrible things that come with social media. I think there's been a great connection um, yeah. for women and other groups um, of any group that's just been sort of isolated from each other Yep. Um, of getting together and going, Oh, wow. I didn't realize this was a universal theme. Like, yeah. <laughs> and then there's a, a language developed for it. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I started Jane Doe in 2017. It was before the meet. Uh, the, this iteration of the Me Too movement mm-hmm. started because um, I remember I had just finished the book when um, hashtag Me Too started um, in earnest. Mm-hmm. Um, and I said to my best friend, Jennifer Eccles, um, what if by the time Jane Doe comes out, women aren't this angry? And she was like, no, That's not gonna- <laughs> that is not going to happen. <laughs> We are just like for a brief moment. I thought maybe we're 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 changing things and getting it. We're going to experience the rage catharsis and we're going to make things better. Nope, I'm sorry. The result is more rage, less catharsis. But I do think it's it it has to do with being online. I think um, yeah, a lot of it happened for me dealing with trolls. Like, no, you're not going to gaslight me. You're not going to talk to me this way. Oh, yeah. um, I'm not putting up with this bullshit because you see it 
happening to every woman around you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then I remember the whole thing about when birth control was covered by Obamacare. Oh my God, I've just rarely been so angry in my life. The reaction to that, like mm-hmm. it's, it's our responsibility. Mm-hmm. Like, how do you think babies are made? It, <laughs> From across the room by accident? No. Oh, and then the whole, now that I've had daughters, I understand. <laughs> oh my God, that makes me rage. Like just literally saying, I don't think you're a person. Until I define your personhood as relative to me. Speaking of narcissism. (laughs) Exactly. So I think there's been a lot of, I don't know. What do you think about um, where it comes from? I think you are totally right that it is the connection of people who can say, oh my God, I'm not the only one. And the experiences when you, especially with things like me too, and things like institutional racism or anti-Semitism or, or anti-Asian sentiment, it, it fits this very repeated pattern. Like it's, it's almost like it's being mimeographed or copied. Like it's, it's the same pattern. It's the same thing. It's the same attack and the same assault over and over and over again in different situations. And it's so hard to stop it, even though you think, gosh, it's it's such similarity. We should be able to like decode and undo this. No, it just keeps happening. And I think that also part of it is the idea that the really, really shitty men, we know who they are. We know what they've done and really nothing happens to them. Yeah. Like motherfucker didn't even get successfully impeached twice. Like, yeah. And so you see these real, that was one of the things that I, that I struggled with, with the early parts of the Trump administration was there really is no consequence if you are yeah. white enough and straight enough and cisgendered enough and, and have enough superficial money yeah. to get away with things. And so seeing individual people like, okay, nothing's going to happen. Earl walks through these restraining order again. Okay. Mm-hmm. I will handle yeah. this and I will handle it better. And I will handle it in such a way that you will never catch me. I will get away with it. Yeah. And I think we're just told over and over again that it's not fair for there to be consequences. Yes. This poor, this poor man. What about his, what about his, you know, his, his swimming career? Yeah. Even that. Even the hint of a question of a a coincidence is, Mm -hmm. is too much. It's too much. Just let's all calm down. And obviously, like you said, that's true across all you know, um, racism and, and sexism and, and yeah. um, homophobia and all of it. Yeah. Um, it's always the same reaction. We can't calm in- down. No, 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 no. We can't, we can't, we can't invoke consequences. It will ruin that person's life. Well, that yeah. person already ruined somebody else's. Yeah. Yeah. My, my feeling is that, and this is a very rough sort of social theory that there, if you imagine a staircase, straight, white, cisgendered guys are at the top. And different Mm -hmm. groups fill in below. You can always yell down the staircase. You can throw things down the staircase. You can push people down the staircase, but you're not allowed to yell up. You're not allowed to develop consequences. And if you climb up, you better start pushing the people below you even harder or you'll get pushed back down. Yeah. I've been so enraged by this backlash against quote unquote cancel culture. Oh my God. Yes. I love people online saying it's consequence culture is what it is. Yeah. But ain't nothing getting canceled. These fuckers get book deals. Nothing's canceled. Right. And like, oh, you could lose your job just because your boss doesn't like what you say. Yes. Yes. Welcome to how everybody else lives. Yes. 
in this right to work, you know, yeah. uh, society, mm-hmm. is it just occurring to you that you could lose your job too? How, how dare you even be surprised by that? And one of the things that's so satisfying, I think, about revenge and the catharsis of vengeance against the shitty people is that often they are they are cre- they they are made victims by the same things that they do to other people. Yeah. And it, like for example, with Jane, I feel like it's safe for me to talk about Jane Doe because it's been out long enough. It's sort of like okay, it's 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 a movie that's been on the airplane. We can talk about what happens in the end. <laughs> <laughs> it's been out long enough. Um, but if you haven't read it, you should still read it. The thing with Jane is that she very carefully identifies all of his weaknesses because he uses those as predatory tactics against women. And then she uses them against him. And she's like, this guy just doesn't even see it coming because women are so far beneath him. He would never see this coming. And then it's true that it turns out he's inherited that ability. (laughs) It's inherited that perspective. It's beloved father. Yeah. Um, That was obviously the, pace of what happens is accelerated in Jane Doe, but she goes through those steps with him of him identifying her weaknesses from the moment he sees her eating a low calorie, cheap microwave dinner Mm -hmm. in the lunchroom. She makes herself the perfect prey. Right. He looks at her. He says, she doesn't have any money. She's wanting to lose weight. She's eating lean cuisine or whatever it is. And, uh, and he begins to use that against her. And that's exactly what Jane does with him. Yeah, for sure. And it's very satisfying to see someone experienced consequences in ways that are like, uh, it's possible, it's available. You don't have to be Mm -hmm. super powered or super rich or super connected. You just have to own your own power and not be afraid to use it. Yeah, yeah. I, there's at one point, I think it's in Jane Doe, it might be in Problem Child, where she thinks, I don't know why everybody doesn't record conversations, mm-hmm. like, in the office. Yeah. Because, you know, she's thinking, you might you might need this. Yeah. As proof. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. So Granted, in some states, that's not legal. FYI, yeah, I know. In some I, states, it is legal. I live so. in a dual consent state, so it's not legal. <laughs> so when you're writing a story that's going to have revenge and um, rebalancing of power and reframing, what do you think are the, the essentials? Because you're in terms of plot and character, you're making um, a character who has the audience or the reader identifying with them sympathetically, but they also have to follow along with that character doing some shitty things. Right, and you have to engage right. their their sympathy. Um, and it's interesting for me looking at domestic suspense and especially some of your books, which are very deep point of view from, from female characters. Romance readers have often very much struggled with, with identifying with heroines who are very different from them. And there's all kinds of leeway given to the heroes, but the heroines for a very long time had to be a very specific way. Not too much of this, not too much of that. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Lisa Kleypas once did an interview um, and she talked about how they had to be like, like, like Goldilocks, not too hot, not too strong, (laughs) not too weak, not too hard, not too soft. They had to be this very perfect, very limited thing and with domestic Mm -hmm. suspense it's like all right I am too loud I'm eating too much pasta and I'm going to commit too much revenge (laughs) come along it's a completely different way of interacting with the with the reader what do you think are some of the things that make that identification possible in domestic suspense or or Earl had to die books as I think of them well I think um 
maybe it's a little bit less of a personal I I think in in romance you have to have flaws and you have to have bad things happening but every single thing that happens has to be redeemable or um can be resolved into a happy ending yeah 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 um, so there's only so far you can take it, especially for heroines. Yes. Um, as you said, that's, there's a lot more that is forgivable. For her- oh, heroes, heroes can get away with all kinds of stuff that heroines are not usually allowed to do. I think it's changing, but for a while, yeah. yeah, heroines didn't have a lot of leeway. You have to be able to imagine that these people are going to be live happily ever after yes. and that you want them to yes. work out. Yes. And in domestic suspense, um, there doesn't it doesn't need to be a happy ending. No. Um, you don't have to envision them in a healthy relationship at the end. Um, sometimes there is, but probably not. Right. Um, so there's a little bit more give, especially, I mean, I still get the whole she's not sympathetic thing. The funny thing is Jane has been the most, the best received of all my heroines. And she is the least interested in being sympathetic. She's- if you don't know, she's a sociopath, like straight up sociopath. Owns it too. Um, like, let me tell you what sociopaths are, because I am one. <laughs> Welcome to my head. Purely uses people. She has a uh, well. I won't. I won't spoil it. But she has a lovely love interest in Jane Doe. Um, and while I was writing it, I had so much fun, and I just kept thinking, "Is anybody else going to like this?" Like. <laughs> You said that when we did an interview before it came out, you were like, I didn't think anyone was going to like her. But I think because she's so upfront about it and here's, I didn't like the show girls. Did you, No. did you ever watch that? No, did not like, do not like, no. I loved the show nurse Jackie. Yeah. Have you ever seen it? I have. Yeah. And I think the key for me was nurse Jackie thinks she's a horrible person Mm -hmm. and she's actually a better person than she thinks she is. Yeah. Which I think is true for Jane Doe also. Mm -hmm. Girls, on the other hand, they didn't think they were horrible people, but they were horrible people. Like Seinfeld. (laughs) Seinfeld too. They were were all horrible people who thought they were better than everyone. (laughs) So I think that maybe that had, I had that in Jane Doe that she is nicer than she actually even wants to be. Yes. But um, the, also, the, one of the things with Jane is that her narration is an act of kindness because she does a lot of work reframing things. Like, right. Dick is plentiful. I can eat pasta bread and have five glasses of wine and still get laid anytime I want. I eat do your not pasta need to lose 20 pounds no. to get some strange dick. No. Like, that's not... <laughs> Like, go eat your pasta and enjoy your dick. Or whatever you prefer to enjoy, it's fine. But still, you just eat the pasta. It's fine. (laughs) But I do think um, I framed it that way, and this is maybe an easy out, but I think if you're going to write a revenge story, Mm -hmm. it's much easier to pull it off if it's actually an avenge story. She's avenging her best friend. Yes, she's not. only friend. She's not doing this because he hurt her directly. She he hurt someone she cared about, and that hurt her. Right. Yeah. And I think I, I haven't seen it, but promising young woman. Yes, I think that's what it's called. Yes. I think that's the basis for that too. It's yeah. about her friend. So I think you can do. I think you can take it farther. Yeah. If it's on behalf of somebody else who is seriously damaged or yeah. injured. Um. 
Uh, I do think you can just do a straight up revenge story too, but I do, I think it has to be, it certainly can't just be, he cheated on me or she cheated on me. No, you know? it has to be um, next level dastardy. It it does. It does. Mm-hmm. Um, because cheating is just something that happens and you have to learn to deal with it. Right. But if he cheated on you and you found out that he was, you know, had stolen somebody's identity and wasn't even a real person and caused you to lose your job and your business license and, you know, mm-hmm. and you know, you're, dad had a heart attack and died in the middle of all of it. And you know that now you're getting towards something that you can probably get away with writing. Right. Like that's a character who tossed a match out of the car and burned down five acres. It's okay to go after that person for touching, tossing the match out of the car that ruined your whole life. Exactly. Exactly. Um, So I don't know what, how, what do you think makes that story work? I think one of needs to die. Earl, Earl, Earl had to die. (laughs) <laughs> I think that in terms of character, you're right. Um, the idea of vengeance and not just revenge is important mm. and that you're avenging something that happened to someone else. One of the reasons why, um, and I don't usually read creepy or violent things. Um, one of the reasons why they never learn worked for me was that in a lot of ways, the person who was enacting revenge was enacting revenge for things that these people had done to others. And that mm-hmm. she found out and she had the power and the level of sociopathy to go and take care of it without any guilt. I think the key to a revenge story is that it's competence porn. <gasps> yes, it's totally competence porn. It's you watching totally somebody just right. play out this fantasy. You're entirely right. Works. Ding, check, 100%. Thank you very much. Thank you, Drive Through. That that that's been a great podcast. Appreciate it. Yep, competence porn, <laughs> revenge, competence porn. You are entirely yeah. right. It is yeah. watching someone competently create vengeance. Yeah, totally right. And and it's in situations that we see happening. We yes. see it and every we see, day, and we see it happening over and over and over with no consequences. Yeah. Over and over and over. Everyone should yeah. just move on. It wasn't that bad. <laughs> We should all just move on and heal. The healing begin. I'll get oh, sure. God. <laughs> I'll some healing. It involves a big knife. But the other thing about writing thrillers and domestic suspenses is there's often a twist. There's something that you don't see coming that happens. Um, that's the part that blows my mind as a romance reader. Because there's there's, there can be twists in romance, but it's not something that's expected. So mm-hmm. when you're writing a thriller, you're writing for an audience that is expecting there to be a twist. And you have to surprise them with what they're expecting. Yeah, and it can't be the twist they're expecting. No, it has to be something completely But there different. has to be hints along the way. Mm-hmm. So in my opinion, there's always going to be people going, I figured it out. Yeah, like, of course. You know, I don't try to figure it out when I'm reading. I don't want to figure it out. I just want to enjoy the story. But I think some people were really like, you know, nailed this one. I got it. <laughs> Murder mystery readers especially, because they want to be like, I figured out who did it. I bet I'm right. Yes, but yeah, I get a exactly. high like when I'm when I'm right like oh good job brain you figured it out well done. <laughs> but for me, I just start with characterization. I, that was the way I wrote romances too. I start with a character, mm-hmm. maybe two characters, and then start to get into that whole like what's the worst thing that could happen to them? Right. Um, what's the worst thing you could spring on them? And that's that's where it starts for me. Um, and then from their characterization is where the the twists and the surprises come from. So do you think of them as you're writing or do you sort of have the, okay, so what if this happens and you work your way backwards to making that happen? Um, I normally start from a place of knowing exactly what happened. Yeah. 
and then um, figuring out how that would be covered up or misinterpreted Mm -hmm. um, and then work backwards from there. Yeah. Because one of the things that works in your favor with domestic suspense and thrillers is that with that deep point of view, you have one of the things I love about Jane Doe, for example, is she is the most reliable narrator. She's really not interested in lying about anything. Lying takes effort. She's just going to tell you what's up. Yeah. Yeah. But with, with the deep point of view and an unreliable narrator, you have to question, is this person's version of reality the actual reality or is this a perception right. of reality, which makes a, a twist sort of easier to build? Right, right. Well, and in um, The Last One Home, my my book that's uh, just coming out, um, that was the great fun of writing it for me is there is this big thing that happened And the two point of views have completely different ideas about what led to it, what happened, how it played out, what the motivation was, all of it. So that was the big twisty part in this book. Reconciling Um, these two versions of reality. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's the truth for both of them. Right. Absolutely. They both think Um, they are presenting accurate reality. Right. Right. But, um, of course, you can't, you know, one person can only see one side of it. There, It's a whole 3D, you know, incident that happened. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was that was a lot of fun. Oh, yeah. Out, um, what their actual truths were for both of them. So for you as a romance writer and all now a, a thriller suspense writer, it's still very much for you an experience based in character. That the, yeah. that, that the commonality between all of those genres is that the character is the developed part first. Yeah. And that's what I love reading too. As a matter of fact, I, I love reading horror. Um, I keep expanding what I'm working on and I can't read what I'm working on. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. So I keep, you know, reaching out for different things, but horror is the thing I lean on the most because I, I can't, I can't write horror. Um, so I read that for pleasure. And I've, I've been really in search of deep point of view horror. A lot of horror is like gore slash and, you know, burn kind of stuff. Um, and I just want to, I want to be in that character because that's what makes it scary mm-hmm. to be deep into this person and care about them. Yeah care about what happens to them. Um, there are some big name newer horror authors that I just, I don't care. Like if this person is killed, so I'm not scared. Oh. Like, <laughs> no. And, and with the deep point of view of a character where you, you know, their motivations, even if you don't necessarily trust their perspective, you come to care about what's happening because they're you're in their head. Right. First person lowers that boundary mm. and makes it easier, I think, to empathize with the character who's telling you their story so that it becomes almost your story in the brain. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of people who hate first person and maybe that's why. Maybe. It's, yeah. Yeah, it may be. Either they can't reconcile that personality with themselves mm-hmm. or they don't like that feeling of, of, of being drawn that far in. Yes, that narrative vulnerability. Of and, and I'm so empathetic. I'll just I can empathize with anybody, you know. Mm-hmm. Like I just like, tell me all of your feelings. You're going to tell me anyway. I have what I call bartender pheromones. People just tell me all of their business, <laughs> and I'm like, okay, that's great. Um, it, it's it's a vulnerability to be that open to a narration. Yeah, yeah. Is it hard to so. write it sometimes when you're writing in first person? Does it start to get to you, or are, you, are these still separate people? 
Jane Doe and Problem Child are the only ones I've written in first person, and it was the easiest thing I've ever written. <laughs> it just flowed out of me. Yes. But I think it's because Jane doesn't have an internal conflict. She doesn't have an She's inner critic at all. No, doesn't have an inner critic. And there's no, I had to go back because I'm from the Midwest and I say, I'm sorry, constantly Oh yeah, for no reason. Oh yeah. Bump into a cart, say, I'm sorry. sorry yeah. You know? <laughs> and I'm sorry. Can uh, I bring you a casserole? Yeah. <laughs> I had to go through and take out any softened language. Like I think he wants to do this, whatever. Mm -hmm. She's not thinking of, she knows, she knows, she knows. So uh, once I got into the rhythm of that, it was very quick because things are happening and she's reacting Mm -hmm. and thinking things and there's no going back. There's no self-doubt. There's no questioning of whether you did the right thing. And so that went very quickly. I haven't ever written first person um, from a person who's not a sociopath. (laughs) Well, you know, there's, there's always opportunities in the future. So we'll see. But I did find um, uh, just dialogue and stuff flowed very quickly. Yeah. Writing first person. Was there one character in Last One Home that was easier to write than the other? Uh, Donna was definitely easier to write for me. I used to be cool. Trust me. (laughs) I used to be so cool. Um, But, you know, I grew up, uh, uh, Donna ran away from home at 15 or 16. I can't remember now. And and that was not my circumstance. But I grew up, um, you know, with, like I said, my dad left before I was born. We were on welfare and, um, you know, free lunches at school and walking through some questionable neighborhoods, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So um, that kind of feeling about the 80s was very easy to write. Oh, yeah. Um, Lauren is a much uh, nicer and, uh, like I said, she's a people pleaser. Um, and I am very Midwestern in that way, but I say, I have no problem saying no to, you know, anything. It's so my nose have gotten so so much stronger too. (laughs) So it was a little harder for me. Um, also the whole, she has this dad that she loves and she's very close to. Um, so that was just a little more alien to me to write, but Donna was no problem at all. She's just, you know, smoking and drinking and cracking jokes. And yeah, it was fun. You re- you recently tweeted, and I actually saved a picture of the tweet because it was so great about how, as you have aged, you have come into your own gaze. Yeah. And that yeah. The, the great threat to, 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 to other people who wish to have power over you is that you own your own gaze and that you only have to serve your own perspective now the older you get the more you own yourself and it made me really think about the gaze of romance versus the gaze of of thrillers and domestic suspense and how part of being the active protagonist in a story of of revenge or vengeance is to own your perspective may not be right from someone else's point of view but it's perfectly right from yours that's right yeah um especially in the in the revenge side of things yeah um it's taking a stand, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, and saying, this is not okay. And I'm not going to put up with it anymore. And yeah, I feel like I'm, I'm 48 now. I can't wait to turn 50. That's amazing. I don't think about what other people want from me anymore. Uh, and that is threatening. And I thought a lot about how female power for centuries has been portrayed as ancient women, mm-hmm. as witches, Yep. right? Crones. 
Yeah, because they don't give a shit anymore. (laughs) They live on the outskirts of town and they have their stuff that they need. Yep. And you don't get to tell them what to do. Yep. And they're, yeah, that's power. Yep. I I don't, scary. I don't remember if I was talking with you about this at one point or I think you might have been there possibly, but also that the backbone of a lot of volunteer organizations and Mm -hmm. social networks is women who have raised their children and have time with which to volunteer to do things. Yeah. So the look at all the voting registration. Absolutely. um, Getting younger people organized. Yeah. um, And that's all unpaid labor, of course. Absolutely. Thanks, volunteer. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Um, Yeah. I think it's just uh, you get to a point where you realize, first of all, your kids aren't young anymore. Mm -hmm. You're not literally tied to your home. Yeah. You've got some freedom from that. You're free from trying to make yourself into what men want because they're going to tell you they don't want you anymore anyway. Right. You're 50. Who cares? <laughs> yep. Um, and I know uh, this is another thing that I think social media has helped with in the past. I think women of a certain age were relegated to matron yeah. and told that that was nearly a worthless status. Yep. You're just a helper now. Yep. Get off to the side. You're not on stage. You're behind yes. the scenes. You're behind the curtain. Yep. And I'll I think this, this modern era is about going, what the hell? No. <laughs> that doesn't matter to me. Nope. You know, that. Um, so, yeah, I think it's been wonderful. Yeah. And you see footage like Maxine Waters refusing to yield to somebody who wants to talk <laughs> yes. over her. And you're like, whoa. Yeah. damn yes and staying within the rules i'm reclaiming my time yeah that feels like exact that is an exact uh capture of what it feels like to get older to me yeah reclaiming my time yeah no mm -mm, you don't get it (laughs) and one of the things that i found to be really sort of scarily liberating about the quarantines is well who am i when i'm not in front of everybody yeah when the only people who see me are my husband and my kids and my dogs and my cat When I don't have to go in front of other parents, I don't have to go to any PTA things. I don't have to go pick up somebody from lessons. Who am I when no one's looking? Yeah. And I haven't shaved my legs in a year. Oh, (laughs) I'm like, you better not get close enough to me if I'm out hiking to even see that I haven't shaved my legs. Like it's like insulation at this point. It is. It's an extra layer. I'm not taking that off. I was going hiking this summer and I remember I was on a trail and the breeze picked up and I thought, holy shit, (laughs) hair is another sensory feature. (laughs) Yes, there's danger near. Something is near you brushing close to you. Yeah. Wait, all this hair has a purpose. (laughs) Amazing. I'm never getting rid of it. We're still, for the most part, not being seen very much. Mm-hmm. And who are you when no one's looking at you? Yeah. I'm a lot yeah. happier. <laughs> not giving a shit. I haven't worn real pants in like forever. Yeah. Uh-huh. I, have, I have so many more pairs of sweatpants and leggings now. Mm. I was just telling my best friend that my my laundry cycle is totally based on my four good pairs of jogger pants. Hell yes. Like, there's the two that are just perfect. Oh, the, they're the best ones. 
They have the deep enough phone pocket and they're comfy and, oh yeah, I'm with you. Exactly. They're loose, but they stay up. Mm -hmm. They're not, you know, and then there's a third pair that's a little bit tighter. They're okay. You know, Mm -hmm. that's fine. And then when I get to the fourth pair, it's time Time to to do the laundry. (laughs) Yeah. Time to do the laundry. That's the other thing. I have to stop myself from getting rid of all the clothes I'm not wearing because I haven't worn them in a year. Like you will have to go out into the world again someday. I have looked at several things and gone. I'm not, that's not worth it. I'm never wearing this again. No, there's like, no point. I'm not going back to that. No. Nope. I have a lot of shoes that I'm seriously looking at again going. Yes. What are you reading that you want to tell people about? Um, I made a list because that. my brain is um, not okay. <laughs> um, right now I'm reading on the topic of revenge stories. I'm listening to Hench. Do you know that book? I love that book. I did an interview with the author and it was amazing. Oh my God. I squeed at them so hard. So hard. I'm, I think I'm maybe only 25, 30% into it. I'm not quite sure um, because I'm listening to it and I didn't look at the number, but so I'm such a good rage story. It's just fun. And so out of my wheelhouse Um, because for people who don't know, it's about, there are villains and superheroes mm-hmm. and everybody needs support staff yep. for their industry. Yep. So the book opens with her working for a temp agency that provides temporary workers for evildoers. Yep. Cause obviously they would use a temp agency. No question. Yep. And then an incident happens and she's injured and she decides to get revenge on the superhero class basically. Yep. Because they keep getting away with harming people and no one holds them accountable. I hope you will contact me when you finish it and tell me what you think. I would, I'm dying to know what you think. Um, I'm also listening to the AI who loved me by Alyssa Cole. So good. So those are both sort of light, you know, um, and out alternate universes, basically. Um, I just finished empire of sand by Tasha Suri. Have you ever read that? I haven't. Oh, it's really good. It's really good. That's a fantasy. There's a great romantic element. Um, it's a lot of um, high stakes drama, but it's also kind of a feel good mm-hmm. story. Um, I just started Heaven My Home by Attica Locke, um, who writes sort of thriller horror. Right. Um, but I'm literally like 2% into that. So yeah. I can't really even tell you what it's about. And I just finished Yellow Bird. Um, I was doing a lot of nonfiction research um, and Yellowbird is a true crime story, but it's also a story about a woman named Lissa Yellowbird, who is a member of the Rikra Nation. Um, she starts looking into this disappearance on the Fort Berthold Indian Reservation, where there uh, is the North Dakota oil boom happening. So it's a lot of white people, a lot of outsiders in industry coming in and um, corruption. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just a great story. She is a woman who, um, is a former drug addict and had gone to jail for dealing drugs. And then when she gets out, she's clean, but she sort of needs a, um, a mission or something to become focused on. And she starts looking into some, it's a true story. Right. Um, so yeah, I just finished that one. Awesome. And then I've got a big TV red pile of romances. Um, I want to read the Rose Learners. Um, Wife in the Attic. That's not a romance, I know, but um, Acting Up by Adele Buck and then Alicia Rye and Ava Lee both have new romances. Yeah. So those are 
on my to-be-read You have a nice list. And that brings us to the end of this week's episode. Thank you to Victoria Helen Stone and Victoria Dahl for hanging out with us. And thank you for listening. I hope that you are curious about The Last One Home or Jane Doe or Problem Child or any of her other books. You will find links to them in the show notes at smartbitchestrashybooks.com slash podcast. And if you are a connoisseur of Earl Had to Die Revenge stories, I'm curious what you think are the reasons why they are so satisfying. Mm. You can email me at sbjpodcast at gmail.com or you can call 201-371-3272 and leave me a voicemail and tell me or just leave me a bad joke. You know, I love those. I will have links to where you can find Victoria Helen Stone on Twitter and on her website as well. I want to thank those of you who have taken the time to leave a review. I realize that that is quite a commitment. It is hard to convince people to leave reviews. And I say that as a professional reviewer. I know that this is the case. So if you have done so, thank you so much. I want to thank Jennifer for writing Fighting the Patriarchy and Finding Your People. Oh, I'm so flattered. SPTV is my first and favorite podcast. If you like romance novels or anything remotely related to them, like knitting, love, erotic intelligence, and pet shenanigans, oh yes, you will adore this podcast, which is smart, funny, and thoughtful. But be warned that it is so expensive to join the hot pink palace. Yes, it's true. We are very expensive people to know. Thank you, Jennifer, for leaving a review. And you leave a review in the podcatcher app of your choice. It makes it easier for people to find us and it helps the show grow. So thank you. Now, as always, I will end with a bad joke and this one's really bad. I hope you will enjoy it by groaning as loudly as everyone in my house did. Serious podcaster voice. Are you ready? What do you call Batman after he trips on some stairs? What do you call Batman after he trips on some stairs? Bruised Wayne. (laughs) Bruised Wayne, also known as the entire lighting system of the Snyder Cut. Seriously, I tried to watch it. I couldn't say anything. Ah, Bruised Wayne. (laughs) Ah, Thank you to Verbird for that joke. Totally made my day. On behalf of everyone here, we wish you the very best of reading. Have a wonderful weekend, and we will see you back here next week. Smart Podcast Trashy Books is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. You can find outstanding podcasts to subscribe to at frolic.media slash podcasts.